Amen, amen. Well, I'm glad to be in the house of worship this morning. Glad that I can feel the presence of God here today. Amen. How many came to hear from the word of the Lord? Amen. I like that. A hearty amen for the word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, we'll just go ahead and begin to turn to Scripture. I'm going to Exodus chapter 25 first. Exodus 25, I'm reading from verse 1 through verse 9. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take from them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, and badger skins, and sheetam wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle. And the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Before we go to Hebrews, I just want to draw your attention to three words in verse 9. After the pattern. After the pattern. Hebrews chapter 8. <clears throat> reading verses 1 through 10, <clears throat> and just bear with me as we read this. I, I tried to look at how I could condense this reading down for time's sake, but I think in order to get and to grasp the understanding, thank you, to, under, uh, to grasp the understanding of uh, what is being said here in this text, we need to read through verse 10. So, verse 1, Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if we were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For, see, saith he, that thou make all things according to to the pattern, showed to thee in the mount, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how also he is the mediator of a better covenant, 
which was established upon better promises. For it is the first covenant, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Amen. To the word of the Lord. And again, let me draw your attention to verse 5. Three words, four words, according. Let me just even back up there. Make all things according to the pattern. Make all things according to the pattern. And I want to minister here this morning on what I really have uh, felt like the Lord gave me and has been, has been dealing with me personally for a few weeks on this thought according to the pattern. According to the pattern. Can you pray? Pray and ask the Lord to use these these lips, this mind, this heart to deliver his word today. Jesus, I'm thankful, God, Lord, to be in your presence today. I'm thankful, God, that we can meet with you today and, Lord, that we can come with an expectancy, God, to hear from your word this morning. I pray, God, Lord, that there is an attentiveness. I pray, God, Lord, blanket this place. God, with an attentiveness, Lord, to your word, I pray, God, that we feel the weight and the, the weight of the meaning of every word, God, that you minister to us here today, that we'll leave here different, Lord, that it will impact us, God, Lord, that it will give us a greater desire and a greater determination, Lord, to serve you. I pray it in the name of Jesus. And everybody say amen. You can be seated. I want to begin by just saying that I in no wise, some of the things that I am going to say, some of the things I'm going to reference here this morning in no wise is necessarily meant for this local church. I am speaking more in terms of the apostolic movement as a whole. Not necessarily the United Pentecostal Church, but there are other apostolic organizations that I would include that hold to the faith that I am speaking to. And I know that they're not here, and I know that you're here. And I think that what I'm going to be saying to the church, to the local church here, can be uh, an awakening, maybe. Maybe it's an alarm that is being sounded. Maybe it's just a be careful moment that I am trying to convey 
as we live in these last days. I'm not here to put anybody on a guilt trip this morning. And I know sometimes it may seem that much of what I minister deals with uh, a message that focuses on restoration for the church of today. And I'm sorry, I can't, I can't help that. That's just how God deals with me at times. I am on a journey. I am going to speak for me personally. I do not stand here before you with a man that has all the things that I'm going to be talking about here this morning together. I go to conferences and I hear some of the speakers talk and I hear references to some of, the, uh, some of our forefathers of Pentecost and how that they were mighty prayer warriors. And I, I, I go away and I can, I, G.A. Mangan is one that comes to my mind at the moment and how that I've heard the testimonies of how that that man prayed. And I leave, I, I, I walk away from hearing that, that with, with just such a desire and a wish, if you will, down in my spirit, that, oh, if I could just somehow be like that. I'm, I'm flesh. I have struggles. I have to keep my flesh in check. I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey. When I come before you on times like this, I'm not just here to preach to you, but I'm here to preach to me. Because when I bring a fresh bread message to this pulpit, it's not only ministering to you, it's ministering to me. Amen. And I don't think it's any secret for me to make the statement here this morning that we are living in an unprecedented era of rapid change. I sometimes think back, my grandfather, my grandparents, uh, they lived in southern Ohio. They attended the Apostolic Church in Ironton, Ohio. Many nights went home from church. Everybody went to their bedroom. Ties went off. Jackets went on the bed, changed in the clothes. Grandma was in the kitchen in the refrigerator digging out the leftovers from dinner that day. And we all gathered around the table in the kitchen. And we fixed us a leftover midnight snack, so to speak. But the many conversations around that table about the current events, things that were going on in that time, they were shocked at some of the things that was happening. I wonder today what they would really think if they could see what's happening today. Our world is in turmoil. Our world is dramatically being reshaped in every possible way in our day and time that we live. If 20 to 30 years ago, if you would have told me that we would see in America, that we would see the day when Christians would be persecuted and chastised for what they believe and what they profess, I would have not believed it. But here we are. We are here in that era. And while it might present challenges for the church, and while we might bemoan 
the dramatic change is taking place. And while we might bemoan the pressure that it is putting on the churches, I can stand here tonight, this morning, and tell you that it is also an opportunity for the church to be a lighthouse. It is an opportunity for the church to be a beacon of hope to a lost and dying and broken world. It is an opportunity for the church to be a city that is set upon a hill and it can shine its brightest in the darkest of times. Amen. So I'm not necessarily going to bemoan. I might feel the pressures of the day and the hour that we live in. And it may get more difficult as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But it also is a time to have a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so I brought your attention this morning, I hope, to the word pattern. Make it according to the pattern. When you look at that word pattern, both in the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek translation, both translations picks up a word, and that word is model. A model. I think everybody here knows this morning what a model would look like or what a model, how a model applies in this scenario. And so Moses, God is instructing Moses, build a tabernacle. He gives Moses a model, if you will. He gives Moses a blueprint. If you have been a builder, if you have done any building, uh, uh, and I know probably Brother Bruce is familiar with drawings and blueprints, and on that drawings there is dimensions and there are sizes and shapes and all different kinds of directions. Matter of fact, right there on the screen you can see what is in the background there, a blueprint. God gave Moses a blueprint for the tabernacle. He gave it to him as precise instructions. It was not suggestions to Moses on, well, here's what you could do or here's what you might do or here's what it might look like. It was not uh, uh, Moses just, just, just put it together and just do what seems right to you. Amen. I believe that if somehow Moses would allow some deviation from the plan a little here and a little there, I don't believe the presence of God would have ever dwelt in that tabernacle. I don't believe the presence of God would have ever met with his people there. Amen. God is not going to dwell in man's redesign. Amen. God always gave specific instruction. A few examples would be Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah when he built that massive ark. Amen. He gave them specific instructions. And I believe that for Moses, for that old massive ark to have floated when the water was rising, I believe it was essential for Noah to stick to the pattern. Amen. Make it according to the pattern. So the tabernacle. If you've ever studied the tabernacle... It's very enriching in your understanding of New Testament salvation. I, I, I admonish you, if you have never 
done your own study. Uh, you, 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 it, would, it would do you well to study the Old Testament tabernacle plan because in it are types and shadows. There are parallels for New Testament salvation. And when we get to the New Testament, God manifests himself in flesh. Why? He came to be a model, a pattern of the new covenant. A new plan of redemption. New hope for eternal life. He didn't come just to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to just be the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. But He came with a purpose. He came with a plan. He came to prepare. He came to equip. He came to empower people who would usher in the birthing of the New Testament church on the day of Pentecost. Amen. He did not assemble 12 men. He did not garner up a following only to ascend on the day of ascension and to leave them powerless. He came with a plan. He came with a pattern. One of those occasions and one of those moments that lets us know where the church stood at the moment, he asked a question. He looked at Peter. At first he asked and said, who do people say I am? Peter answered and he rattled off some of the prophets. But then he made it personal. Peter, I want to know who you think I am. And Peter doesn't miss a beat when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of of the living God. Peter, in so many words, if I can just put it in my phrasing, Peter, because you have connected. Peter, because you have a revelation. Peter, because you understand the pattern and the plan that I have been investing in you, I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church in the gates of hell. I'm talking about a plan. I'm talking about a pattern. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. I'm talking about a pattern. I'm talking about a plan. Amen this morning. In other words, when that, that word, when he said, shall not prevail, what was he saying? He was saying, the gates of hell shall not overcome the church. Oh, there might be some local pockets of uh, 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 pushback from, from time to time, but the, the gates of hell will never overtake the church. I said the gates of hell will never overtake the church. That was the design. That was the plan. That was the pattern. The gates of hell will never overtake the church. Shall not prevail. Shall not be superior in strength. Peter, I'm putting, a, I'm putting some power. I'm, I'm investing some authority in you. 
I'm giving you some power. Amen. Peter, whatever you bind here on earth, it's going to be bound in the heavens. He was establishing a pattern, if you will. Amen. He was establishing a plan. Amen. He was putting hell on notice. You're not going to prevail over my church. You're not going to overpower my church. You're not going to overtake my church. That was the divine plan of God. Peter, I'm giving you complete power and authority. Amen. What he taught his disciples when he pulled that group of 12 men together, what he began to teach them and invest in them was a pattern. Amen? Anybody with me? Anybody agree with that? Amen? He was putting into them, he was investing into them a pattern. And it wasn't just for them, but it was for the church of today. He told them one of the principles that he taught them, and I'm just going to skirmish across the surface here of some of the things that he taught them in the Beatitudes. He taught them, seek ye first the kingdom of God. In other words, love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen. Don't you have any other gods before you? Amen. He was putting a pattern into them. He was fashioning a plan in them. Oh, hallelujah. He was teaching them, hey, I'm going to teach you how to pray. He gave them the model prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer. Amen. He's taught them, you ask and receive. If you'll seek, you shall find. If you'll knock, the door shall be opened. Amen. He was putting a pattern. He was putting a plan into them. He ordained those 12 men that he could teach them and that he could send them forth a pattern, a plan. He sent them out. He sent them to preach. When he sent them out to preach, He gave them the power to heal all manner of sickness and disease. Power and authority over the unclean spirits. Not only to just just, just, uh, 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 rebuke them, but to also cast them out. When the 70 elders returned, they were rejoicing and they were shouting and they were dancing and just, just, just jubilant over the fact that the devils were subject unto us, they said, through your name, Jesus. Amen. Jesus responded and he said this, I give you power, an ecstasy of power, meaning authority. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing by any means shall hurt you. What was he doing? He was laying, he was throwing down a pattern. He was throwing down a plan for the day when he ascended back into the heavens. The New Testament church was birthed, amen, that they could operate in power and authority. Amen. Hallelujah. I've got to take this off. I'm getting warm. A pattern, a plan. You get to Acts 1 and 8. Just before his ascension, Scripture tells us he told them, you shall receive power. You shall receive power. This is a different translating translation of power, dynamis, and ability, miraculous 
a force. You shall receive the ability. You shall receive the ability to work the miraculous. You shall be a force to be reckoned with after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Amen. Hey, friend, this is not just a novel story with a with a with just some sort of a good punchline, but this is the way that He fashioned a pattern. This is the way that He fashioned a plan for the New Testament church. Paul said this he said for the kingdom of God is not in word but in power power that's an action word power and authority to affect their world power and authority for you and I to affect this troubled world. But there is, let me say it this way, there was and there is a contingency to operating in authority, spiritual authority and spiritual power. There was and there is terms and conditions to operating in spiritual power and spiritual authority and for it to be effective. We've got the example in the scripture. A father comes to Jesus and he says, I got a lunatic son that is completely out of control. And basically, I'm just just ad-libbing a little bit. I'm sure this was the gist of the conversation. I've done everything I can do. I'm at my wit's end. He, he wallows around on the ground. He foams at the mouth. He falls into the fire. He falls into the water. And the disciples, your disciples, Jesus, your disciples, I brought him to them, and they could not cure him. Jesus, have compassion. Help me. Help my son. And Jesus rebuked and charged the spirit that he identified as the deaf and dumb spirit to come out. And I think the disciples were taken back because they didn't say anything in front of the crowd. But they got Jesus off to the side, Scripture says, privately. And they said, what just happened? Why could we not cast out that devil or that spirit? Jesus answered them with this. This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Prayer for the church today to be able to operate in complete power and authority, spiritual power, spiritual authority 
Prayer for the church cannot be optional, and it cannot be secondary. To operate in the supernatural spirit, you must pray. It was unceasing prayer by the church in the book of Acts for Peter who is sitting in a prison that delivered Peter out of that prison. Logic said it was no way. Logic said it could not happen. It was impossible to human reasoning and human logic. But because there was a church that was praying, the supernatural happened and the supernatural delivered Peter out of the inner part of that prison and took him to the prayer meeting. Paul and Silas, you know the story well. They were, into, they were cast into the inner part of the prison. All hope looked hopeless. Peter, or Paul, and Silas, they began to pray. And they began to sing praises. And that jailhouse began to rock. And an earthquake brought deliverance to Paul and Silas. All because they prayed. This thing, this experience, this Pentecostal experience. Amen. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost was born in a prayer meeting. On the day of Pentecost, it was birthed because there were some people who were praying. Topeka, Kansas, back in 1900, early 1900s, there was a revival that broke out because there were some people who were hungry and praying. Azusa Street all because there were some prayer meetings that were going on with hungry hearts that wanted to touch God more than anything else that the world had to offer, more than anything else that life had to bring them. The only thing that mattered to them right then and there was that they touched God, amen, that they received all that God had for them. They didn't really understand what this Holy Ghost was about. You read back there, even back there when they were meeting in Topeka, Kansas, and they really didn't understand what it was all about, but they, something started stirring and something started churning down in their spirit and they thought, well, you know, we could give it a try and, and, and let's just pray and let's just see what happens. And when they begin to give themselves and devote themselves to prayer, amen, something happened. Something was birthed that changed a nation, that changed a world. Prayer made things happen. So, I said earlier, I am not. I thank God for this church. <clears throat> there is no other church in this part of Indiana or in southwest Ohio that I would rather be a member of than this church. <clears throat> and some of the things I'm saying 
is not for this church, but let it be, let it be somewhat of a warning where we cannot go. I watch other churches and I am troubled. It grieves my spirit. The direction that I am seeing them go. I go to conferences. Went to a special service here back a couple months ago or so. Back in the fall. Large church. Great talent. Great singing. And I left there and I remarked to my wife. There was good singing. Great talent. But I didn't feel what I went there to feel. And that was the spirit of the Lord. I love good music. I love good talent. And I think we ought to give it our best. But it cannot take the place of the presence of God. I'm seeing too much program and not enough of the according to the pattern. Program alone, methods alone, organization alone is not going to accomplish the true mission of the church. Prayer, it's prayer. Because prayer will anoint the worship. Prayer will put anointing in the pulpit. Prayer is what is going to be the sorely missing thing that I see today in the pews, and that is conviction. Working in the hearts of people that need God. Prayer will bring the operation of the gifts of the spirits in our assemblies. Prayer will bring the operation of the supernatural realm of the spirit of God in our churches. It took prayer to receive the Holy Ghost the day that you, God, filled you with the baptism of his spirit. It took prayer. And it's going to take prayer to stay full of the Holy Ghost in this hour that we live. We cannot finish in the flesh what was begun in the Spirit. You're, you're kidding yourself if you think you can do it in the flesh. You might as well go down and join up with a social club someplace. And just have a little more fun doing something else because you cannot finish this in the flesh. Moses climbed up Mount Sinai and I can only imagine probably old jagged rocks and things and he had to make his way around them and weave in and out to finally get up to the point to where he was engulfed in a cloud and he heard from God. 
Sometimes prayer is climbing a mountain. It's difficult sometimes. It's hard. You feel like your words are bouncing off the ceiling and the walls and you're not getting anywhere and you're not feeling anything. It's, it's really, I'm just telling you, it's going to be, there's going to be times where it's feeling like you're climbing up a mountain. But we need to climb to the mountaintop and pray until we hear from God. I know that I'm emphasizing prayer. Jesus said these things only happen and come about by prayer and fasting. You can fast till your belly button falls off, but you ain't praying. It's fruitless. Prayer leads to a rise in faith. Faith leads to the supernatural. The supernatural, friends, is apostolic. Well, the supernatural, I said, is apostolic. Power, authority, the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. That's the pattern for the church of today. And that's where you, that's where I, we have got to go and we have got to live if we are going to be effective in a world that desperately needs God. That's the pattern. It's got to be our reputation. It used to be. Some of my elders here this morning, come on. Can you say that's the way it used to be? Give me a hand wave or something. Amen. That's the way it used to be. It used to be our reputation. And we've got to have a hunger. We've got to, and then that's where I'm at. That's, that's the journey I'm on. I, 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 I was dri- we were driving home uh, just a few weeks ago from the conference in Louisiana, and really uh, none of this came out of the conference. It was driving home that I just, uh, uh, you're, you know, driving a 1,000 miles, left at 7 a.m. our time, pulled in the driveway 10 o'clock that night. So there was a lot of time to think as I was driving along. And, and, and I just, uh, oh, God, I, I, I'm tired of living on easy street. I'm tired of, of just, just, just coming to church. I'm tired of just going through motions and ritualism and our Pentecostal culture Somehow, some way, oh God, I've got to be able to affect people around me. Oh God, somehow, some way, that there would be rebirth within me. A love for souls, a love for people, a burden for the lost. Can I say also we need a rebirth of complete trust and confidence in the God we say that we serve. I don't know how much we really trust him in this modern age. We need a rebirth of complete confidence, complete trust in God to step out into the unknown. Lord, I don't know where you're going to take me. I don't know what you you want to do with me. I don't know where you necessarily want to lead me. 
but I'm just going to make myself completely available to you. Uh, wherever you lead me, wherever you guide me, uh, wherever you take me, uh, I'm going to peel my fingers off the steering wheel of, the con con of control of my life uh, because I want to walk into the supernatural. Uh, I want to be able to reach out to somebody. I want to be able to help them change. I want to be able to help them uh, come to an altar and repent of their sins and go to the waters uh, to be baptized for the remission of their sins uh, and to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, that's where I want to be living. That's where I want to be dwelling. Amen. Not just in word, but in complete power and authority spiritually. I watch too many churches and I spend a lot of time I don't spend a lot of time but when I have time I'll pull somebody a church if they've got their service recorded and on posted online I'll watch their service and sometimes I watch too many churches that's replacing anointing with performance and here's the danger of it when there's no anointing in the church it leads to having to create a wow factor that's going to appeal to the people what, what happened to the working of the spirit amongst the assembly appealing. And so they have to create a wow factor. I see things like, you know, back, I grew, I was a teenager in the late 70s. And those that, Brother Bryant, you sold records, so you probably know this. Others my age, but the late 70s was the disco age I kind of liked it <laughs> and when we went to those places where they were playing it big room almost dark ball turning in the center Lights flashing and glittering over the reflection around the room. Smoke. And sometimes, well, I'll be honest with you, sometimes what I see from other churches right now, I would almost wonder, am I at a discotheque? That's sad. The church of the living God should never revert to looking and acting like a discotheque in order to bring people into the pews. What are they doing? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're trying to create a move of God. And let me just give them a revelation Whatever you create isn't a move of God. It's just emotionalism. Sensualism. 
In other words, provoking excitement. Souls who walked in the door leave their services at best with just an emotional experience and may not even come back again because what they experienced is not of power and authority that will keep them and draw them back to that church the next service. Can I tell you this morning, I mentioned the wow factor and how that some of them are trying to create the wow factor, but I'm going to tell you this morning what the real wow factor is. The real wow factor is doctrine. The best that we have to offer is not in programs. The best that we have to offer is not in methods. The best that we have to offer is not in organization, is not in music, is not in our talent. But the best that we can offer to a lost and dying world is an apostolic message that it, with power and with authority, power to affect their lives, to change them. I'm talking about a power in demonstration and authority. I told you I did some reflection driving home. Here's the first step to making change. Because, see, we have this human fallacy about us that, well, it's not happening. If they would do this, I think it might happen. Or if they would do that, or if pastor would do, if he would just change this, or if he would just change that, and, and you know, I think we could probably have a move of God. No, let me give you a revelation you want to change, you make it happen. If you're the only one in the church house and the only one sitting in the pews, uh, amen, all it takes is a brother or sister just to get on fire for God, uh, amen, burning uh, with a Holy Ghost fire that's burning in their heart and their soul, uh, amen, that can ignite a church. So here's our problem. I thought I was driving. I'm too distracted. Now don't don't I'm smart enough to know. And I don't have a college education. And I, I'm smart enough to know that I'm not the only one in here that fits in what I'm gonna say here. But I'm, I'm too distracted. There are too many distractions in our world today, and I think probably if we would put our finger on it as an apostolic movement, 
we would come to the understanding and realization, if we're honest with ourselves, we are distracted. And there's a whole long list, but I'll just give you some of them. Social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, to name a few. Television, radio, politics, sports. It's all competing for your attention. And it's up to me to put the limit on it. So I instituted a change. When I get up in the mornings, I no longer turn the news on to see what happened during the night until I've prayed. I don't pick my phone up and check the emails and see who posted and see what else is on there about the news. until I've prayed. Rather than pray, what we are seeing is churches who are resorting to performance both in the platform and the pew. Their reliance on anointing has shifted to performance and there is no substitute for the anointing of God in his church. I can think of nothing worse than a church where the presence and the spirit of God refuses to dwell. Closing. Saul, if we could stand. <clears throat> Saul, little by little, and as I have been on this journey over the last few weeks, I I've read the story of Saul two or three times. I've read it in different translations to really try and to grasp the weight and the gravity of Saul's life. And Saul, basically, I can paraphrase it this way, little by little, he began to rely from the day that Samuel anointed him king. He began to rely upon his own ability. And he began to do what Saul thought was right. And he finally came to a point where he crossed the line. When the Lord spoke through Samuel and said, Go down to the Amalekites. I want you to slay everything. Don't leave anything alive. Man, woman, child, animal, don't leave anything alive. You slay it all. 
destroy it. And when it was all said and done, Saul did what he thought was right. He spared Agag. He took the best of the livestock. Because he thought, oh, wow, these will make great sacrifices. Samuel said, no, that is not what the Lord told you to do. He started doing things his way. God repented as a result that he had made Saul king. And as a result, Scripture tells us that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. How tragic. The Spirit of the Lord left. He could no longer feel what gave him daily guidance and daily direction and gave him victories over the enemies that he came up against. It's gone. There was a void in Saul's life. And as I was reading this and studying this, it dawned on me when this void was in his life, he reached out for something to replace it. And they go and they, they summons David to come and to play his music and to play his harp. And he began to rely upon an artificial emotional feeling to satisfy the void of God's presence no longer being in his life. Today, I've already said, too many churches without God's anointing, no demonstration of spiritual power and authority, and all across this land, churches will perform their talent they will give great performances and it will cause people's emotions to be stirred and it might bring some of them to tears but it did nothing for the soul If there's ever a time that the church needs to be true to its calling, it's now. If there's ever a time for the church to operate in the supernatural, it's now. Today. If there's ever a time for the church to be full of Holy Ghost power and anointing that signs and wonders follow, it's now. If there's ever a time church needs to be like the first church the pattern, the plan it's now there's ever a time that the church needs to be a power preaching church 
with anointing and conviction. It's now. It's no time for compromise. It's no time to go another direction. And that's why I'm at this church. Thank God I found a church that there is a pastor who says, we're not going another direction. We're not going to compromise. Hey, we're going to do what's right. Jesus is coming. And I'm going to tell you the church he's not coming for. He's not coming for a week of spiritually weak. He's not coming for a spiritually anemic church. He's not coming for a church that's just barely making it, that's just somehow going to drag through the pearly gates of heaven. That's not the church that he's coming for. He's not coming for a superficial church, but he's coming for a supernatural church, a church that knows how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, a church that has gone to its face in a prayer, a closet at at home. They wake up in the mornings and they don't begin their day until they talk to God somehow, some way. Amen. He's coming for a church that has adorned itself, a church that has adorned itself according to the plan and according to the pattern church that is without spot, wrinkle or blemish, a church that is washed in the blood of the Lamb, a church that is full of the Holy Ghost oil in their lamps, they've got their lamps all trimmed and burning, a Holy Ghost fire that's burning down in their soul according to His pattern. And I'm opening this altar you're here and if you agree with anything I said you do what you feel like you need to do if the Holy Ghost is talking to you and dealing with your heart I ask you to come to the altar if you realize that you've deviated from the pattern you've deviated from the plan I ask you to come to the altar. If you're here and you have not been born again, if you've not been born of water and of the Spirit, if you have not repented of your sins, if you have not been baptized in His name and filled with His Spirit, I'm asking you to come down. Submit yourself to His plan. Submit yourself to His pattern. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God, let him hear your voice. Let him hear your heart. Does your heart have a passion for his plan? Does your heart have a passion for his pattern this morning? Oh, God, awaken us, God. Awaken us. Awaken us in our spirit, oh, God. Oh, that there would be a stirring. Awaken us, God, out of our sleeping. Awaken us out of our slumbering. Awaken us, God, out of our apathy. Awaken us, oh God, out of our complacency. Awaken us, oh God. Call us back according to your pattern, Jesus.